you would open your Bibles to Romans 12, <coughs> we'll start there, um, but we'll be moving to Daniel very soon after that. <coughs> I'm not going to speak primarily on Romans 12, we're going to get to that next week, I think in class, um, 11 on Wednesday and 12 next Sunday, but there's this seems like a shift really to more pragmatic kinds of things in, in Romans chapter 12 and Paul makes this appeal and he says you know present your bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord and in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 he says do not be conformed to this world don't look like this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God um you know, it's not easy to be different. And sometimes we think of that in, in terms of children or teenagers or something like that. They, they face a lot of pressure and they just naturally, you put them in an environment, they just naturally start doing what everyone else is doing. You know, um, but it, the same is true of, of us throughout our lives. It's hard to be different. We, we develop different ways of coping with it, how to do it, how to accomplish it. Some things we just... In certain areas, we're more comfortable being different, but then in other areas of our lives, we're not. We feel this pressure to conform and be like the people around us. Um, you know, and that can manifest itself in lots of different ways. Um, the, the jokes I tell, right? If I'm in a if I'm in a certain crowd, I'm tempted to be to be friends with these people, to be on a a good relationship, to tell some kind of joke that they would appreciate. Maybe something I wouldn't say in front of other people at all. Right? Or to talk about things in the news or something that's going on and, and dwell on these things that are evil. Um, to build rapport. Right? To be like the people around us so we have rapport with them. Because when we don't have that rapport or we are different, it really doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. There is some kind of tension. What matters is how you deal with that tension, right? Recognizing that there's a tension and just accepting it, dealing with it. Even even as adults in our lives, it's hard for us to be different all the time. Um, <clears throat> there's someone. There's an example that we have of someone who successfully lived that life, and I think Daniel is one of those. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna look at Daniel chapter one today. Um, of, of people who had to be different in their lives, Daniel is just kind of this extreme example. I mean, he he was apparently um, from either nobility or royal family, because that's who Nebuchadnezzar wanted brought back, and we'll see that when we read the text. We'll read through chapter one. But he gets transferred from this state of worshiping and being in his own nation and following the laws of God um, to being in a completely different world where he's being groomed to take a place in a pagan society, in leadership role in this society. Um, so really... 
if we if we look at Daniel, I think what we can learn from him as we go through this, at least just this first chapter is what did he rely on? How did he act in this situation where he was trying to be forced to become different in some ways that he did not find acceptable? Um, so I'm going to read Daniel chapter 1. It won't take very long. Um, and we'll make a few points. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. <clears throat> I think the first point that I see in this is that Daniel allowed change where God's word was not at stake. Did you notice all the things that Daniel had to face, all the changes Daniel had to face in, in verses 5 through 7? Look back at 5 through 7. The king assigned them a daily portion of food and gave them wine. They were to be educated for three years, new education. And in 
in verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Um, if you back up in verse 4, he was looking for them to stand in the king's palace and he wanted to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So, new books to read, new language in which to read them, and a new job. Everything is changing. But what did Daniel resist? I think this is, a, I think this is an important thing in wisdom, in how we walk, in the things that we allow to change in our lives and the things we don't allow. The first thing is to recognize which things are opposed to God's will and which things are not opposed to God's will. Daniel resisted the food and the wine. That's what Daniel resisted. So, first of all, he had to have some kind of knowledge of what God's will is, what God's expectations are, what God's design is for him in his life, in order to know what to resist. If all these things are being thrown at you and you have, you, you've never served God or been interested in Him or really sought out understanding, you may say, well, okay, it's a different life, so everything's got to change. No big deal. I'll eat new food. The king, It's the king. The king wants me to drink wine, then I'm going to drink the wine. But Daniel had an understanding of what things would defile him. He doesn't say, I don't like wine. I don't like the king's food. It's gross. Okay? He says to the steward, or the, actually not the steward, but the chief of the eunuchs, I don't want to defile myself. His concern was holiness before his God. So when things are changing in our lives, or at work, or with family, or friends, or wherever, things are changing, first use some wisdom and slow down and take a breath and say, is this change itself going to be something that causes me to stumble before God? Or is this something that God opposes? Or is this just a matter of opinion that this person or this is going a different direction that really has no impact? Because if we fight every change we're presented with in our lives, then when something changes that's important, it's going to be like, we'll be seen like the boy crying wolf. Ah, that's just Richard. He's just contrary. Ah, Richard just doesn't like change. Yeah, he says it's, it's a religious thing, but he said the same thing about how we changed lunch last week. Do you see what I'm saying? Daniel may not have liked being called Belteshazzar, but what we see revealed in the text here is the thing he pointed out was the thing that went against God's commands. Okay. Um, the second thing I think we see is that Daniel seems to have been, I'm not going to press this, this point very hard or be dogmatic about it, it seems, to, it seems that Daniel was a good influence on his friends. Did you notice in verse 8 who resolved? And then did you notice in the rest of the chapter who was participating? If you look in verse 8, it says Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food. And then you look down in verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants, plural. He's looking out for his brethren. He's looking out for those he knows that they shouldn't be participating in this. And he doesn't force, them on, force this on them. I think we learn more about Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael 
in later chapters, right? That they had character of their own. But it seems like Daniel was an example for them. And his stand and his resolve to do this helped them out. I think that's something we need to understand in our lives as well. We each have temptations that are different from our brothers and sisters. Or we each have maturity in different areas of our lives that's different from our brothers and sisters. And that when we stand up for something publicly, and and we'll talk about this later, Daniel didn't do this in a belligerent way at all. But when we stand up for truth or we stand up for something that's right, we can help out those around us who see that and are uncomfortable but aren't ready to take the stand. And they can say, yeah, I agree with that. It helps them to take a stand in their own lives, even if it's not public. If I stand up and say, I don't do this, and here's why, and I point to God's Word, I may help someone who's struggling with that, and their conscience tells them that that's a sin. And it may even just be a matter of opinion. But they're willing to sin against their own conscience. But if I take a stand and say, yeah, I struggle with that too, I don't do this thing, I may help out my brothers and sisters who are struggling with those things. And we don't know who we're going to help. In this instance, Daniel had an opportunity. He spoke to the man who was over all of them. And he said, you know what? If this is good for me, this is good for my brothers. So I'm going to talk to the, the steward about all of us. Okay? Um, I think we have some passages in the New Testament that we can see that played out. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Um, Paul brings this up with Timothy, and he's giving him these instructions. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I mean, we we can easily look at Paul and say, Well, yeah, Paul was a good example, right? He's, He's instructing a young man. And first he tells him, let no one despise you for your youth. Water off a duck's back. Let that, let that just roll off. Right? Don't feed into that and say, well, I'm just a young guy. No. You, as a young man, be an example for the believers. Set the example among the believers. Right? Not to raise yourself up or to puff yourself up, but so that they can look to you and see something living in their midst as an example. Right? I think if we each took that attitude and said, I'm going to set the example of service, of love, of purity, and I'm not even going to have to talk about it and say, look at me, right? I'm just going to set the example. He doesn't say, say a word, right? Set the example. If we each decided to do that, right? Think of the influence we would have on each other, and then as we went out, the influence we would have on the people around us, right? Our coworkers, our family. If we decided to have this attitude, I'm going to be an example for the believers. Right? Now there's another um, example. I've used that word too much. In First uh, Peter chapter 3, it's a very specific example, but I think it makes the point as well. This is an, being a, an example for a non-believer. Um, in the first two verses of First Peter chapter 3, Peter's speaking... He's continuing a thought, really, about uh, subjection. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, 
They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, this isn't Paul doesn't mention anything, or I'm sorry, Peter doesn't mention anything here about every morning the wife sitting down with her husband saying, Okay, let's go over Acts 2 again. Let's look back at Luke. Let's look back at these gospels every morning. He doesn't say that. He says, even without a word, your conduct can save your husband's soul. Right? And again, if we draw the broader application, I think it goes back to us being an example to those around us. This isn't just about, I'm better than somebody around me. This is someone looking at you and deciding that they're going to give their life to Christ because you're setting an example. Not that they're going to follow you because you're such a good person. Okay? This is a concern for those around you and their salvation. Okay? I think Daniel was concerned for his brothers. Okay. Uh, the next point I like to make, and I mentioned this earlier, Daniel used wisdom in how he approached men, how he approached those in power, those who really maybe had no regard for his religion or his beliefs or anything. He seemed to use wisdom in how he approached them. Now we see in verse 9, where did the favor come from? In verse 9, it's, it's attributed specifically to God. Um, that doesn't mean that God said, well, I'm not going to allow this person to uh, attack Daniel or hate Daniel. I'm going to override his will. I'm going to force him. I think what it means is because Daniel was approaching him with respect that God would have expected. He, was, he wasn't approaching him as high and mighty or puffed up. Right? That his approach was a godly approach and that God gave him favor through that. In verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I think that is directly tied to how Daniel approached him. And it says in verse 8, Therefore Daniel, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Rather than saying, Chief, I have... A law that I obey with my God that doesn't allow me to do this, I am not eating this food and I am not drinking that wine and there's nothing you can do about it. You can just take me out and kill me right now. I'm not going to do it. Would he have been breaking the law to, to say that? Probably not. He would have been holding to the law. But he asked that he be allowed not to defile himself. He recognized that this man has authority. He doesn't want to challenge his authority. He wants to show him that he's under his authority. His concern is not with saving his own face or showing that his authority is greater than this man's authority. His concern is obeying God. There, there is a small and huge distinction in, the, in this point. Right? It, may, it may manifest itself in a small way. I belligerently say, I refuse. Or, I recognize your authority and I ask. But the humongous difference is, why don't I want to eat the food and drink the wine? Is it because I'm a Jew and I'm better than you, a Gentile, and my God has said don't do this, and your food is just garbage? 
And so I am trying to save my own face. I am trying to preserve my identity. Or am I really concerned about my relationship with God? I say, I know you don't want this. How can I not eat this food? I'm going to appeal to him as someone in subjection to him. That showed wisdom. And Daniel was a young man. I mean, we read at the end of this chapter, he was there until the first year of Cyrus. He was in captivity the entire 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied. Daniel was in captivity the entire 70 years. So he was pretty young. But he showed wisdom. He didn't have this fiery attitude of, you know, down with all the Chaldeans or all these Babylonian, you know, captors. He said, you know, he probably, he may have, he knew some of Jeremiah's prophecy because later he references it in this book. So he probably knew that Jeremiah had said, this is from God. Go with it. And he had that attitude. I think we can learn from that. Um, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, again, not a, not a di- directly applicable example, um, but Peter, this is previous <laughs> to what he wrote to wives in, in chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example you might follow in his steps. We need to submit ourselves, and, and Peter is not saying you submit yourself to the point of committing sin. I think Daniel embodied this, these three verses perfectly. He submitted to an unjust master who didn't care about his religion, who was only pleased or, or only concerned with pleasing the king, yet in that submission, in that subjection, he appealed to him that he might not defile himself. And Daniel didn't break the law. This is the attitude I think we can take on. And it's similar to the very first point, which is choosing our battles. In everything, we need to submit to those in authority over us until we are called to break God's commandments, break God's law do something against the example of Christ. And then when we are, use wisdom in how we appeal to those people. I I recognize your authority. I understand what you're asking me to do. Why can't we do it this way? What did Daniel do? He did the classic genius thing. You provide an alternative solution that still meets the needs. Provide an alternative in how we deal with people. So Daniel used wisdom in this. The final point that we need to keep in mind when we're being different, and it is stressful, it's tense, there's things coming up all the time, we're different in different ways with different people. God's design is better. Did you notice 
not just the food. The king wanted to give them food that he was eating, it says. The king's portion. I'm royalty. I want these people to serve me. I'm going to give them the best food. I'm going to give them my own food. This is what's good for them, because they're going to serve me. I'm going to give them the, educate, the best education I can provide them. Language, literature, knowledge, wisdom, everything the Babylonian Empire has to offer. And for three years, I'm going to give them knowledge so that they can serve me in wisdom. He wants wise people surrounding him to help him make decisions. But did you notice which food made the flesh of these four look better? They were fatter in appearance than the rest. It was God's food. He ate the vegetables in the water that were commensurate with the law of God. And who does it say gave them knowledge? If you look back in Daniel, Daniel 1, in verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Well, okay, so God gave them wisdom. But maybe his wisdom wasn't as good. Well, no. Look in verse 20. Every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. When we're being different, it's not that we're better. It's that God's better. We are nothing apart from the design God has given us to follow. So, when we're facing that tension, we can still be a servant to this person because we're not better than this person. We're just following a better design because that design came from God. When we're facing this tension and we're tempted to change, we need to remember, God's design for me is better. He's already laid it out. He's given God's design for me. What He wants me to do is better in whatever way. Food, um, learning, wisdom, relationships, desires. Whatever God has given me to fulfill those, that's better than what I'm going to find in the world. If we remember that, it will help us cope with that tension and be able to serve the people around us. So in conclusion, be different, but be different in obedience. Don't just be different to be contrary. Don't just be different because you want to be, you want to stand out and draw attention to yourself. Be different in obedience. If you find that there are people around you similar to you because they're also obeying, that's great. Don't seek to be different from those people just because you want to be different. But don't look to people to try to align yourself with their lives. Right? If your lives align because you're following God, that's fantastic. But be different because God has given you different instructions than the rest of the world. Okay. Thanks. That's all I have.